Everybody and thank you for listening to Sober Diaries hosted by me, Angus Reynolds. As an ex-drug dealer, former cocaine addict and current sober bar manager, I've seen firsthand the effects of the UK's drink and drug culture. And with this podcast, I hope to educate and inform my listeners by interviewing people on their experiences with drugs and alcohol and dissecting some of the broader issues surrounding the culture. Everybody and welcome to another episode of Sober Diaries with me, Angus Reynolds. Um, my guest this week is 27 years old and a South London boy. Um, and out of all the previous guests that I've had on, so this is episode six now, um, I feel like our journeys have mirrored each other more, more than anyone else. Um, so having first entered recovery almost two years ago, uh, he's relapsed several times. Um, but let's talk about it with the man himself. So let's talk about it with Johnny. Johnny, you all right? I'm good, mate. Yeah. How are you? I'm all right. That that drive over here done me in, to be honest, mate. <laughs> <laughs> that was a little bit of a long one. Through South Woodford from Plaster. It was crazy. But um, we're here now. And yeah, I just wanted to elaborate a, bit, a little bit more about what I said, kind of about our journeys. So you are the first guest I've had on who, first of all, you're around my age. You're male. Um, you grew up in London and you had the same addictions as me, which was you know, cocaine and, and alcohol fueled that. Um, uh, yeah, I just wanted to let people know why I thought that. Um, what is your favourite non-alcoholic drink? My favourite non-alcoholic drink, I would say, is probably Super Malt. Super Malt? I, used to, I liked it before. <laughs> I liked it but when I still drank and I still used drugs, but now, if I'm going out to a house party, yeah, yeah. I will buy five or six bottles of Super Malt. Yeah, fair. Because you said to me, I just cracked, like, we, you know, we had that long drive and I just opened an alcoholic beer and then you said you didn't want one because they're triggering, which I've never kind of thought of before. But Super Malt, I would never, I'd never go for Super Malt. <laughs> <laughs> like, alcoholic or not, that's not for me. Um, right, I'm going to go straight into it, mate. What was life like for you when you were drinking? Drinking slash using drugs. It was it was really difficult, to be honest. You know, it was a life of constant lies more than anything else. You know, I think that more than anything, lying to myself, but you know, lying to my friends and my family. It was it was really painful. You know, every part of my life, whether it was going to work, hanging out with my friends, revolved around when I was going to use drugs next and when I was going to drink next. Yeah. Um, and what that meant was that I was constantly trying to manipulate people. I was constantly lying to them and it was literally just rotting me from the inside, really. Um, more than anything for me, it was just a lack of honesty was the most difficult thing over and above everything else. And, you know, beyond that, never had any money, <laughs> really bad health, physically and mentally. I was fat towards the end of my drinking and using. Me too, bro. Yeah. Um, gift of sobriety is losing a little bit of weight. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it, it was awful. <laughs> to be honest, it was it was it was no fun. To yeah. be honest. So, what would a typical week look like for you? A typical week, if we start in Monday, Monday I would generally be sober and clean because I'd be so messed up from the weekend. Remorseful and yeah, yeah. self-loathing. 
But then on Tuesdays, I'd probably mostly be sober. But by the time I got to Wednesday, I was nipping out of work to the pub at like 11 a.m. at work. I'd go and have one in the Weatherspoons in Farringdon near where I worked. I'd go back into work. I'd go back to the pub at lunchtime, have two or three more. I'd go back to work. I'd go back to the pub at 3 or 4 p.m. And then by the end of work, I'd be so hammered. I'd be on the phone to my dealer. Yeah. Picking up the Coke. And for a long time, it was only, you know, one gram of Coke. I'd go back to my stepdad's where I was living at the time because I had taken myself away from the flat I lived in with my missus because yeah. I decided that doing coke and drinking was more important than my relationship at the time. Yeah, yeah, I've been there. Um, and did coke, barely got any sleep, you know, went back to work and that was kind of the cycle, you know, it would get to Thursday, Friday, the bender would begin. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the weekend would be purely, you know, me for a while, you know, for a long time it was just partying. For the last few months it was... You know, it would get to a Thursday, I'd do two or three grams of cocaine. I'd struggle through Friday. I'd go back to my stepdad's flat where he wouldn't be at the weekend to be staying with my mum. Yeah, yeah. And I'd be on my own just doing coke all weekend and drinking all weekend on my own yeah. in insanity. And the cycle would just start again on a Monday. Yeah, hectic. Hectic. Hectic yeah. life, man. Um, so, you know, we had a we had a nice car journey over here, um, which gave us a chance to because you know we don't know each other the first time we met, um, but it gave us a chance to have a bit of a chat and kind of compare lives <laughs> basically. Um, and you mentioned to me that the, t- the, the what made you stop drinking? You don't really know. You just you just like, had a, a kind of a vision on the way to work essentially. Like fuck it, I'm gonna stop. Do you think there was anything more to it than that? Was I, I, was there something that a big catalyst, a big horrible night you had the night before or something? That night, there wasn't. So as I said to you in the car, I gave sobriety a real go for the first time the morning after England had beaten Columbia on penalties in the 2018 <laughs> Summer of Love of Love Island and World Cup yeah, yeah, when the yeah. weather was amazing. When and football was coming home. That, that, when football yeah. was coming home, exactly. And I had left work that evening, gone to the shop, bought a bottle of wine, drank the bottle of wine, walking down the road before I got to the pub to meet my mates. I didn't tell them that I'd done that. I then had eight or nine pints in a pub that was being run by a mate of mine, which I didn't pay for. <laughs> and the rest of the night was really shady. Obviously, I can't remember much, but what I do remember is in the middle of London Bridge Station, I had a massive row with one of my best mates. And I remember screaming at him that I couldn't talk to him about how I was really feeling. And that was his fault. Oh, okay. Um, which, of course, it wasn't. But that's what I thought at the time. And he got really upset and he, and he went home. And I ran off into the night, went on a bender, um, and the following day was on the way to work. I just got off the tube and I just said, I just can't live like this anymore. You know, before that point, for a good few weeks, I really thought I was coming to the end of my life. I really had made that decision. That's going to be it for me now. Um, I'm just going to end it. You know, I'd I'd really, my plan more than anything was that I was going to see how England did in that World Cup. Because I didn't want to die and miss out on seeing England football coming home and England winning the World <laughs> Cup. But once that was done, um, that was it. I was going to throw myself off the balcony at my stepdad's. Yeah. Um, but for some reason, you know, what would that have been? Ten days maybe before England eventually went out of the World Cup? Mm. Something in my brain just changed and I thought I had a little bit more to live for. Good. Um, and then what tools and techniques did you use to get sober? So for me big part of my sort of sobriety journey is that about a week after I'd made that decision I actually went to rehab yeah so I went to um, a place called the Priory which I thought was fucking great yeah man. Yeah, yeah yeah definitely which swear, I thought yeah. was um, 
fucking great. Fucking great. <laughs> Amy Winehouse, Mick Jagger, had all been to this same rehab. So it had a bit of like star appeal. Had a little bit of star appeal and me being like the egotistical maniac I was, particularly at the end of my cocaine use and my drinking. Thought that's the spot for me. It was 20 grand. Fuck me, for a month. 20 grand for 28 days. Fuck. Money that I did not have, naturally being a cocaine addict. So I, was in a, <laughs> I was in a lot of debt already. Yeah. So I went to the bank, told them that I was buying a new car for 20 grand. Yeah. They gave me the 20 grand. Fucking and I hell. immediately sent that off to the Priory. And a few days later, I was in there. So yeah, and, and for me, you know, a lot said about, you know, rehabs and stuff. But for me, it was a pretty eye-opening experience. You know, I think mm. more than anything, it was the first time in my life I'd been around other people that suffered from this illness. You know, yeah. I, I thought I was completely alone in this. You know, and I turn up there and there was guys and girls there and you know as soon as I stepped in on the first day I remember one of them said to me so what are you in here for and I was like oh murder <laughs> <laughs> and I was like oh cocaine and alcohol and he was like it's a lovely combination isn't it <laughs> and, and I just thought I'm in the right place you know yeah. I'm, I'm in the right place and I was there for 28 days and it was hard but I also probably had a little bit too much fun whilst I was there <laughs> but that was yeah. that gave me a real solid foundation for you know, changing the way I live my life from that point on. Yeah. And I came out and, you know, 12-step fellowships as well were a really big part of my recovery journey and they continue to be as well. Those fellowships, for me, you know, offer a programme that when I do it properly works really, really well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, th those are kind of the things. I think more broadly speaking, there are just some general life things I do that have really helped me. You know, I'm a happier person when I exercise. Yeah, yeah. I'm a happier person when I eat healthily. I'm a happier person when I meditate. Um you know, all the stuff we get told we should do um, makes me happier. But for us, of course, like the difference is that stuff keeps me further away from a drink. Yeah. Um, and that's the challenging thing, you know, is, you know, everyone has ups and downs, but I think that for the addicts amongst us, those downs can lead to a drink and that's kind of the scary thing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, I know a lot of people who, that you know, relapse is linked to uh, a, a downtime or a, a, a kind of a, a sudden event that's happened and kind of took them, yeah, knocked them a bit off balance, basically. But um, I think, yeah, once as long as you've got that... I mean, I, I remember something. So I went to a CAA just before Christmas last year and um, there's a guy sitting at the back I'd never seen uh, and he was... He had a uh, kind of a proper energy on him, like, like a real intense like sad energy on him and um, he didn't say anything the whole time and then we come to sharing and, and he just... He didn't say anything relevant to the, to the to the person's chair or anything like that. Um, he just stood up and he said, "Guys, like I came, I, I, I you know, I've been sober 15 years or something. I I got sober here in these rooms. I don't really know any of you guys, but my my brother died yesterday. Um, my my mum died like two months ago, uh, and I just knew I needed to be here. And and I thought I remember watching this guy go, "Fuck me! Like, if my mum and my and one of my siblings died." I'll be straight back on it. Do you know what I mean? I'll be straight back on it. And, and I, I'll open, like at the time I was like, hand on heart, I knew that, that that I would not be that strong to not do something, which is all I know is, is like, because all I knew, uh, the, the only way I knew how to kind of deal with trauma or deal with like big shit like that was drinking drugs. But this guy was there like, oh, I just looked at him like, that is fucking intense, bro. But that, like, do you know what I mean? But that, yeah, that, that was kind of where I knew I wanted to be. And 
yeah man that's I guess for you the rooms helped and, and, and still still do I think that is one of the most inspiring things about all different kinds of support groups are those times when you're in there and someone you know I heard something once in a in a support group where a woman shared that herself her mother and her sister were all lo- been sober for a very long time and you know, all of them you know, yeah, between yeah. them they had almost a hundred years of sobriety <laughs> between the three Sick. of them yeah yeah but they have another sister who is a drug addict and has never found recovery in any way, shape or form. Yeah. And that day they had been out shopping and a woman had ran into the shop they were in, was screaming, shouting, trying to steal stuff from the shop, had to be restrained by one of the security guards. And the woman's mum said to her, that's your sister. You know, they hadn't seen her in over 20 years and that was their sister. Fuck. And their sister was, you know, very much still out there as an active Man, drug addicts yeah. and they just happen to have seen her you know homeless you know high on drugs you know sort of running into a shop they happen to be in Fuck, man. um but that woman hadn't taken a drink that day you yeah. know and i think that's that's the thing you kind of come to learn you know as someone that struggled with relapsing you know i've been through difficult things i've been through high times and i've been through low times and i have drunk on those things but you don't have to you mm. know and the, the longer you stick around this stuff the more you come to realize that for a lot of people this is such a way of life for them it doesn't matter how good things get. It doesn't matter how bad things get. You know, staying sober is kind of always an option. Yeah. It's kind of, for some people, it's definitely like the only consistency in their life as well. So, you know, there's some crazy people that, you, um, crazy stories that you hear in, in the rooms especially. And yeah, it seems like some people, their lives are so up and down and such mad stuff's happening. But they know that the meetings are the only thing that's kind of there three times a week. They know they're going to get the same message. They can go the same 12 steps and stuff. But yeah, uh, yeah, big up to the rooms. <laughs> big up to the rooms. It kind of leads me on nicely to what's life like now. Life is a lot better now. You know, I'm sure we'll come on to it more in a little bit. But, you know, I haven't been 100% sober and clean yeah. since July of 2018 till now. Yeah. But today, you know, I look at my life, both in terms of the external things I have, but also how I feel. It's unrecognisable. From where I was two years ago, you know, that last few months of my proper active cocaine use and drinking and other drugs as well was, you know, I had a black cloud over my head the whole time thinking that my life was going to end. And I don't have that today, you know, financially, I'm in a lot better place and I'm happy to talk openly about this. But the day I stepped out of rehab, you know, in August of 2018, I was in £30,000 of debt, you know, £10 cocaine debt. 20 pounds from rehab yeah and today that figure's like 14 grand or something but the main thing is that my life was riddled with fear about everything especially financial fear obviously i was in so much debt i owed so many people money so many drug dealers money mm. i'm still in a load of debt now i don't worry but about not, that not stuff to drug to... Dealers either, yeah. yeah i know <laughs> and none to drug dealers yeah, yeah but i just don't worry about this that stuff today and you know yes sometimes i do struggle with you know, the thoughts of drinking and using drugs do still come on me. I'm an addict, after all. Yeah. But my life is not ruled by fear. And more than that, I'm an honest person, you know. And I was honest about almost every part of my life as I've, you know, come into sobriety. And I think the one thing I did struggle, to be honest with, even recently, was the fact that I'm not perfect in my mm. sobriety. Yeah. Now, I have had slips. You know, as a young person, as you'll probably know yourself, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on this. You know, you come out of a really difficult life into this, like, what feels like an amazing new life where everything's great. 
You know, you want to fucking shout it from the hilltops. And then things get difficult. And for me, for a long time, I was scared to admit to people outside of my recovery circles that my life actually isn't perfect. And I do still think about using drugs and I still do think about using alcohol and I still do it sometimes. And, you know, since I've been sober, I've hurt a lot of people. You know, I've you take away the alcohol and the drugs and that mad head is still there. Mm. And for the first 18 months whilst I've been in recovery, I struggled with that. You know, I really, really struggled with just being honest with myself and other people about the fact that I'm not perfect. But it's been real freedom recently that when I do relapse or when I do do something stupid, I'm finally getting myself to a place where I can hold my hands up and just say I'm not perfect. And for me, like that's where the real freedom has come from. Like is just the total honesty, which I've seen in so many people in recovery, but I can never get that myself, which yeah. I think is probably why I've struggled with relapsing because I've never been able to just be totally honest. I'm not quite there yet, but I'm kind of getting some way to be able to do it. Yeah, man. Sick. That's it. Yeah, I mean, a few things there kind of jump out. Like one about the money thing and about, I literally just, I've, I've been debt free for about two weeks now. Oh, it's fucking weird. Honestly, it's so, like you say, it's freeing. It's freeing. Like, I don't have any overdrafts. I don't have a fucking bunch of credit card debt. I don't owe my mum bare money from just for like dumb shit. I don't owe any drug dealers money. I don't owe my pals money. And it's, yeah, it's it's my it's it's such a mad weight because I'm I've you know I've been in debt since I was eighteen. I used to do loads of um, uh, like payday loans and me shit. Too, so mate. my credit me was fucked. Me too. Um, but do you know what I mean? I remember I would I'd get paid on payday. I'd pay off my dealer and my mate who I'd borrow loads of money from. And then after like week one, I'll be back and I'll borrow loads of money back off the same mate. Tick off all the same dealers. Oh, uh, you already owe me free bills. Oh fuck it, I'll call someone else. Like, yeah, but um that's the first one and then the, the 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 second thing about the just like the life isn't perfect you think like right i take away the main bad thing from my life and everything else will get better and it does to a certain extent but also life is life and life will still fucking come up and and slap you up <laughs> like if you <laughs> if you're not careful like do you know what I mean? even if you are careful life will just fucking just uppercut you out of nowhere and yeah, and it's, it's, it's sometimes hard to admit that because, you know, because all people hear from, I don't know about you, but like, especially doing this podcast, like, there's, I'm portraying a very specific part of my life, which is I am very much happy with the way my life is in terms of my sobriety, and I'm, I'm happy that I don't use drugs anymore. I don't use cocaine anymore, sorry. I use drugs sometimes. Uh, <laughs> but we'll talk about that later. Um, but, and then, you know, people expect, don't realise actually all the same things which kind of put me here, you know, the mad family issues and the mental health problems and the traumatic kind of past and and things which are, you don't just go away, like they, they, they kind of, they helped to cause an addiction, but they don't just go away when you lose, like, you know, when you when you, when you manage your addiction. Um, that shit's still there. And I mean, instead I was telling you in the car that I really want to get, um, see a proper like, specialist about it because i've never i've never done um, therapy counseling anything like that and i really want to do it because i just know what how much good it will do just sitting in front of a person and going right let me talk to myself about me to you and you just know shit but um yeah sick um we've rushed through that which i'm quite glad about actually because 
I think this is a sick discussion now we're going to have. So, oh no, last thing, sorry. What tips or advice would you give to someone in your position? Or someone who wants to be in your position and, yeah. My advice to someone that is kind of, I guess has problems with alcohol and drugs and wants to get to a place where it's more manageable. Yeah. Is, you know, we talked about this in the car a little bit, you know, and it's gets spoken about a lot, but of course acknowledging it is the first step. What I would say about that, though, is, you know, I acknowledged I was a drug addict a long, long time ago and continued to use mainly coke and other drugs. And, you know, people would say to me, you know, do you not think you're an addict? You've got a problem. And I would just openly say, yes, I know full well I have a problem. Yeah. And I was still so far from being willing to do something about it mm. um, and being able to do something about it, you know, being in a place where I could. But, you know... In order to get this stuff right, I feel from my experience that you do really have to change the way you live your life, you know. For so long, I tried so many different things to maintain the exact same lifestyle, but just take away alcohol and drugs. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. That, it did, that didn't work for me, you know. It took a real wholesale change. You know, not in terms of the people I was hanging out with, not in terms of, you know, the sort of stuff I was doing. You know, I, I love football, I still go and watch West Ham play, I still go to nightclubs, you know, club culture is a big part of my life, you know, in sobriety I went and worked at Boiler Room, you know, a, a company that people might think that people are like banging drugs at all the time, I was able to stay sober through all of that, but, you know, what changed is the boundaries that I had around myself, you know, not going to places at certain times, and just looking after myself, you know, that is the one thing I did not do before, mm. I made no effort to just like give myself a little bit of self-care and a little bit of self-love, you know? Something I still struggle with to this day, but it's a lot better, is that deep down inside, I've always just thought that I'm not a good person. Which some people might find surprising, but deep down inside me, I did not think that I was worthy of being happy, which fueled so much of my behaviour around alcohol and drugs. Yeah. Because for me, you know, it's a form of slow suicide, and what it took you know, on that day where I was on the tube to work and, you know, I got off the tube halfway through the journey and rang my mum and my boss and my brother and said, you know, I can't live like this anymore. It's because I realised I was worth a little bit more than doing coke and drinking every single day. You know, I suddenly realised, and I don't know where from, but I realised I just deserve a little bit of happiness and I need to just try and be a little bit happy. Um... So yeah, and, and the main thing in terms of, you know, the thing that sustains me more than anything else is the people around you, you know. For a long time, I thought it was okay to just be really honest all the time and speak to other people, you know, non-alcoholics about my drinking and drug use and how I was feeling and that kind of was all right. What I've come to learn really is that the only people that really get this stuff are other alcoholics and drug addicts. Yeah. It's great to be honest with the, with the rest of the people in your life in terms of getting real identification, even on the car journey here, me and you talking, we've never met before, <laughs> but instantly there's a bond there because yeah, we've, we've both, both been we're, through the trenches, bro. Like, yeah. And we're both out, you know, <laughs> to an extent, we're both on the other side as well. And yeah, that man. bond, you can't really get from anywhere else. Um, and it doesn't have to be necessarily 12-step fellowships or anything like that. That's what's mm. worked for me. Um, but what I do think is, a, you know, is almost a non-negotiable is you do have to have a person a group of people that really get this stuff because they've been through it yeah and for anybody listening if that's you and you don't know 
you don't have because you know, I, I know a lot of people who are trying to get sober and they just don't have a network they don't know any other sober people if you're listening and you do like we've got a, a sobriety society group chat um with about 30 40 of us um you just just drop us a message uh, the dm and i'll put you on uh, and you can just immediately there you go there's already built 40 people who were really um, willing and ready to help you with anything you need so that's the end of that enough about you <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, the reason I'm excited to do this second part of the podcast is I think it's a fucking great subject. As, and it's something that's been playing on my mind as well. Um, the question is, is relapse inevitable? Um, and I'm going to proceed it with a bit of information. So I, I've i been sober, what was it, 200 and something days? 284 days. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'll say that with my whole chest. I don't, in, in my opinion, in my mind, I don't think I've relapsed. I, I know I haven't relapsed, basically. I have done some mushrooms and I've done ketamine twice. Um, for me, my sobriety is sober from cocaine. And for me, being sober from cocaine means I have to not drink. Um, so until I do one of those two things, I remain sober. In fact, me using um the the mushrooms and the ketamine actually it you know the feeling i had the next day about cocaine was further away from using it if that makes sense so i was in a house party with a bunch of people on coke and i just i could not be around them and it made me it made me kind of a bit repulsed by 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 you know the thought of me ever using coke again so it, it for me it was like a good it was a positive experience a learning curve and i was like sick i like this i then so that was the first couple of times I, I did mushrooms. And then I, I kind of caught my, I checked my behavior because I started to buy mushrooms on the way to a party or I, I would like go, cool, I'm going to this party on the weekend. I'm going to get some mushrooms in, which is what I used to do with Coke. So I, I didn't ever want to basically substitute cocaine with mushrooms. So I had to check myself again and go, that's not good behavior. Like I was just, I just noticed my thought patterns when it came to why did I want to buy the mushrooms? Not because I was going to go and sit in the park with my pal and, and, and kind of have a nice, wholesome, like, spiritual experience, which, I, you know, I think mushrooms is great for doing that. It was more like I'm going to a party where everyone's going to be getting fucked up and I don't want to be sober there, so therefore I'm going to buy some mushrooms to do that. And that, for me, is the wrong behaviour to do. Some people, I mean, that's you, isn't it? Like, if you're not an addict, that's it's a great time, I know. <laughs> but as an addict, I, I needed to check my addict's behaviour there, which is, you know, which is the wrong reason to be doing it. So... I've now haven't done mushrooms in a while. I'm going to kind of give that a break and then hopefully reintroduce in a different way. But that was a long-winded way of saying, basically, I'm sober from the things that I need to be sober from. Um, so the question is, is relapse inevitable? And just to add to what Angus has just said, um, I have a similar thing with smoking weed. You know, I don't smoke weed regularly at all anymore. But, you know, throughout my, you know, throughout the last two years, you know, including, you know, when I did have over a year of sober and clean time, I did occasionally smoke weed as well. Um, and at several points, like Angus said, I had to do the same thing. You know, I'm very lucky in that when I smoke weed, I don't get the immediate obsession to consume as much of it as possible. Like I do with alcohol, cocaine and pretty much for me, every other drug under the sun um, that is the case for. However, you know, after, you know, smoking a few times over the course of a few months, exactly the same thing happened. Angus describes, I found myself 
for me, even just wanting to buy weed when I was on my own, you know, to this day, you know, in the last two years, I've never actually bought weed, thankfully. <laughs> but for me, that was that was when I had to check myself when I was looking through my phone for a number of a dealer to buy weeds on my own at home. At that point, I, I had to take a step back and say, you know, this has actually helped me probably stay sober from alcohol and, you know, other drugs up till this point. Yeah. But going forwards, you know, my my own personal objective, you know, is to, you know, kind of as far as I can abstain from everything. And as soon as that addictive behavior was creeping back in, I, I had to look at that really. But going back to your question, in my opinion, no, relapses is not inevitable. You know, that's very much been part of my story. But... I know so many people with such long-term sobriety that I know it doesn't have to be. That being said, you know, I think that the reality of coming into this stuff pretty young, mm. you know, for us and for other people, um, it's a hard thing. You know, you only need to look at, you know, the statistics around even people that, you know, go to rehab, they were pretty honest with us whilst we were there. You know, they said to us, I remember towards the end of, of my four weeks there, they said, you know, with everyone in here at the moment, 98% of you will drink or use drugs again within the next year. And at the time, that, that really scared me. And I thought, why are people spending so much money on yeah. going to rehab <laughs> if those are the rates? But, you know, what I've come to understand is it's all part of a journey. And the really important thing is to just keep coming back to this, you know, the real temptation. And, you know, I've, I've had this myself when I have gone back out there to using drugs and alcohol is to give up on this way of life, you know, is to assume that because you've used drugs again or you've drank again or I have, that that means that whatever I'm doing or this way of life isn't right for me. And that's my addict brain telling me that, you know, the addict part of me more than anything, what that person, what that part of me wants me to do is to give up my flat, sell every item of clothing, you know, material being that I have, go to a crack den and live there for the rest of my life until I die. And that's what I have to remember. And when I do pick up drugs and drink, you know, that thought is in there with me, but it's all about, you know, about coming back really. But no, I don't think relapse is, is inevitable. One thing, one thing I said to you in the car, which I think is important to pick up on, is that, that when I was sober for over a year, to be honest, I found it relatively easy. You know, it was such a sudden shift in lifestyle, in mentality, you know, I found like even a spirituality that had been absent from the rest of my life, that it all felt so good. I, I didn't even need to think about it. And I think one common thing that I have learned through speaking to a lot of other people is that you only get that once. Um, and to anyone listening who actually, you know, has come into recovery and has managed to put together, you know, some, some decent time, even like you, Angus, you know, first time into recovery, you're on a good stretch, you haven't relapsed yet hold on to that as tightly as you can because I made the mistake of being tempted going back out there and it has been incredibly hard from that point onwards to pull together any real time you know for me I'm at a point where in the last year you know I've probably the longest streak I had was probably something like three and a half months um, which you know you go back just over a year ago I wouldn't believe that because I was up until that point was finding it so easy in terms of my mentality, in terms of the obsession not being there, that I genuinely thought I was going to be sober for the rest of my life. And from the first moment I've relapsed, it's got a lot harder. Do you think, so 
just listening to that, do you think that, a couple of things, do you think that it's might be because of the fact that you've done, you've, you've been sober for a year, in your back of your head, you kind of know that you can do it again. So like with me, I quit smoking for three months, yeah, um, beginning of this year. And then, whatever, I started having a couple of fags again. And now I'm like, I can always quit. So, I'm just going to maybe have another fag here and there because I'll quit when it comes to it. Do you think that's a part of your mentality when it comes to, to drug use again? A hundred percent, yes. I think, and I talk about this a lot with other people that I'm really close with in sobriety, is weirdly now I'm at a point where I know that my support system is always going to be there. And I know that my experience so far has been that when I've gone and used drugs and alcohol, the very next day I've come, gone back into my circles of insobriety yeah. and my support network and then immediately pulled together another four weeks, ten weeks, three months, whatever it might be. And nothing mental has happened on that night of relapse. Or yeah. maybe it has. You know, I've had some pretty yeah, rough yeah. experiences with relapses, you know, stuff that's so dark that, you know, I honestly actually cannot believe it's happened. But... Yeah. What I need to come to accept is that I am treading a very, very thin line. Yeah. And there will be one point where if I continue playing this game, that I'll go back out there one day and I won't come back. Mm. You know, one thing I haven't shared with Angus is that my dad, when I was a kid, died um, due to addiction. I never he was, knew. Yeah, 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 he was a cocaine addict. And he had been clean for three months, went away to, for some work. He relapsed and he had a brain hemorrhage and died. Fuck. Which is pretty rough and you know, it's particularly rough now that I'm in recovery and mm. I kind of understand what he would have been going through, you know, he'd had a bit of clean time. And he wasn't a big drinker, he was a big cocaine user and eventually crack. And he went away on holiday and he thought he could use some drugs and he got extremely unlucky and it killed him. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. And that's always in the front of my mind, you know. You know, my dad has trodden that path and I really hope that I don't have to, you know. Yeah. I'm playing a risky game every time I pick up a drug and I know that because of what happened to my dad. So as much as, yes, I do kind of kid myself a little bit and say, I can go out and I can drink and I can use drugs and recovery is always going to be there for me to go back to. You know, one day I might go back out there and one day I might not come back. Yeah. So how many times have you relapsed? Thinking about it in the car, roughly. I think I've relapsed roughly seven or eight times okay. in probably in the last year. And you mentioned that you've got some mad stories. Are you willing to kind of share any of those? I will, yeah. I will just because I think it's really useful for anyone who, particularly someone that is sober that hasn't relapsed, you know, something that gets spoken about a lot that we talked about in the car is this whole idea that whilst you are sober and clean, your addiction is getting worse. Right. Yeah, I, which I which I've just been introduced to that. So do you want to explain it a bit more? So I'd always been so skeptical to this idea, you know, people talk about it a lot in recovery circles that the longer you're sober and clean for, that behind the scenes your addiction is actually getting worse. You know, it, something happens to your brain where because you stop feeding it, you know, it gets deeper and deeper and deeper and then if you do actually eventually go back to using or to drinking, if alcohol is your thing, you'll find it's got much worse, right? So like when you, when you fall, you fall 10 times harder it, after, a, a relapse, after a period of sobriety, th yeah. That's the idea. Okay. And, you know, I was really sceptical to that. And, you know, <laughs> the first time I relapsed, it kind of didn't really prove to be the case. You know, it felt very controlled. The quantities had got significantly worse. That was a big red flag for me, is that my ability to stop at any point had completely gone. And even... 
you know, right up until the end. Although I was using every day, now I wasn't using for 24 hours a day every day. And that's yeah. kind of when I went back out there, what it had come to. But the second time I relapsed, you know, my relapse came to an end um, in a crack den with two homeless guys who basically were saying to me that I needed to go back to the life that I had and to give up what I was doing with them. Um, and that was a that was a big wake-up call, you know, and even looking back at that, you know, I look at the pain I was in and I look at how difficult my life was, you know, you know, just over two years ago when I first came into this stuff. I was never taking myself off to crack dens. No. I was never spending two days with, like, two homeless guys I'd never met before. Who then slap the sense back into you that's that's crazy man yeah um and you know and i've relapsed since then and although i haven't gone got myself back into a situation that dangerous the amount of drugs i take and the amount of alcohol i drink and the amount of time that i do it for couldn't be more like couldn't be worse than what it was like when i first started doing this stuff is it increasing each time it's increasing every single time yeah yeah, the amount I'm taking, the amount the amount of time it's going on for, um, that's that's all getting worse every single time I go back out there. Um, and when I'm sober, like, like right now, I think, and the thought keeps into my head, I genuinely think I'll go out there and have one or two grams of coke, I'll have a bottle of rum, and then I'll go to bed. <laughs> yeah. Which, as a, you know, for a normal person, that might sound reasonable. It might even it might sound, sound like a fun Friday. <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah. that now, for me, is completely unrealistic. You know, as soon as, you know, drugs hit my system or I take a sip of alcohol, all bets are off. You know, at that point now, anything can happen. Um, I have no control. Once that's happened, all I can control is, is just not taking that first drink or that first drug. Fair, man. Um, so, what you're saying about, so, you know, when you were in rehab and... Um, and they said 98% of you will be using drink and drugs again. Do you think that was helpful? Because for me, and I'm sure for a lot of other people, that's like, well, fucking, that's kind of setting me up to fail. And I am, you know, I'm, I haven't relapsed and I haven't really thought about it. I haven't kind of, you know, everything I do, I seem to be stepping further and further away from using cocaine again. However, sitting here with you, I've got to be realistic. And I've never had this proper kind of, I've never actually gone in depth about it at all because I've always in my head gone right cool man I just know that it's so far away from what I ever want to do again that I've never thought about it but do you think it's healthy to have that on your mind because cause there's two sides to it isn't there like do you, but do you think you know we should all have it in the back of our heads that I might um, use cocaine again or do you think that that might be counterintuitive behaviour and, and, and kind of not helpful I think that to have it on your mind in that way probably wouldn't be helpful what I would say would be helpful to have on your mind and the way that I look at it is you are either moving further into recovery or you're moving closer to a relapse. And I think that is, you know, day to day when I think about the way I live my life, that is kind of how I level that. You know, what am I, in terms of what I'm doing today, am I taking myself further into recovery or am I taking myself closer to a relapse? So there's no standing still, basically. You're either going forwards or backwards. In my opinion, yeah, that's the way that I kind of have to look at it. Because for me, you know, as, as you and I have spoken about earlier today, you know, there's certain things that I have to do every single day in order to maintain my sobriety. And if I don't do those things, although I might not be talking or even thinking about taking drugs, I am actually taking a step closer to relapsing. And 
you know, this wasn't always the case, but for me, you know, literally one day of not meditating, not leaning on my support network of AA, you know, not, you know, just having a deep connection with just the life that I like living. The day after that, I can be out, you know, drinking and taking drugs. Um, so for me, I kind of have to look at it in that way. Looking back to the, the rehab thing though, um, of course that stat was really scary, but yeah, ultimately, whether they tell us that or not, it's the truth. Yeah, true. Um, it, it, statistically, it's, it's a fact. It's yeah. A, yeah, a statistical fact. And, you know, I'm sure in some rehabs they don't tell people that. In fact, mm. I know for a fact that they don't. Um, but it really helped me that they were honest about that because, yeah. you know, when I came out of rehab, I had that stat in my mind. And for me, you know, I was so vigoured to, like, live this new way of life. I was like, I'm not going to be one of the 98%. I'm going to be one of the 2%, which I was. You know, the stat was... 98% of people relapse within their first year, which I didn't do. You just hit, hit, the, hit the year and then had one month extra and you're like, fuck it, now I've beaten the odds, I'm, I'm back in. <laughs> Pretty much. But the other important thing to remember as well is, you know, it's people relapse, you know, these people, you look at what they go on to do long term. Yes, they may go back out there for a year, two years. They might go, they might drink and use drugs and go back to recovery after a day, you know? And I think that it's important to recognise that relapsing is a part of recovery um and you know some people find it useful even to think of you know what i've done as a lapse rather mm. than a relapse you know a lapse being you go out you drink or you, or you take drugs or you do both and you immediately come back to your life of recovery so it's more of like a, a mistake a slip up rather than a, a change in your lifestyle exactly yeah. yeah which is what i'd say apart from a short period um when i first relapsed kind of around august and then september last year for the first time where, although I wasn't using drinking drugs regularly at all, my mind was really far away from recovery. Like, yeah, you yeah. know, I'd, although, you know, it was one relapse and another one kind of six weeks later, in that six weeks, my mind was not in. How can I improve my life? How can I ensure that I'm happy? You know, I, I was in a bad place then and I was in no way recovering. Um, but every other time other than that, you know, it's been a lapse, it's been a slip. You know, I've been, yeah. I've been straight back to this afterwards and that is a, it's a much, although it's difficult to come back every time, for me, compared to two years ago, where I was an unhappy person, I was suicidal, yeah. my life revolved around drinking and taking drugs, it's not really like that today. Mm. Which is what I was saying, you know, just to kind of introduce this bit of the, the podcast, which is more like kind of sober, so, sober as a mindset, sober as a mindset. Um, so, I've got some, some things written down here. Um so this is a how do I explain this so you knew something or someone had told you something about me before we met yes um it's someone else who I, I still don't know who it is because you've got very tight lips um but told you that I had relapsed and that they'd kind of uh, and basically how did how did that come about but also actually no that's irrelevant how it came about is irrelevant but I wanted to talk more about kind of people getting up in other people's business when it comes to comes to my you know my journey or your journey like um i just feel it's something that we should talk about because it's happened and it's <laughs> quite funny that it's happened and and you know i'm used to people talking shit about me because i've done a lot of horrible things in the past and, and a lot of people have a reason to not like me um but when it comes to something like this if i wasn't me and i wasn't kind of used to people talking shit about me and i wasn't quite comfortable in my sobriety right now I'm sure it would affect me more that someone else is telling people that I am not sober and that it's, 
you know, they've seen me doing cocaine, which is a complete myth and a lie, which hasn't happened. Um, so what kind of, you know, what, what would you say to those people? I think one of the most important things about sobriety is it's really, really not okay to be gossiping about other people's journeys. You know, it's really not okay. And like Angus said, that can threaten for some people, that can really threaten their sobriety. You know, someone could yeah. have been sober for a really long time. And if someone creates a rumour or says something that's not true, um, you could be putting that at risk. And I think that, you know, one of the things is, you know, I don't want to get into, you know, who said what. This yeah, person yeah. actually is at the start of their sobriety journey. So actually, you know, I'm trying to pay them almost a level of respect that unfortunately they didn't pay Angus um, in not, you know, breaking their anonymity and, you know, bringing them into, you know, anything that could potentially, you know, put their own sobriety at risk. Um, it's a really important not to do it. And, you know, I'm actually really grateful that A, it's not true and B, that, you know, you're someone like me, you know, <laughs> as an addict who did so much horrible fucked up shit, yeah, you know, in our lives before we came into this stuff that, you know, it does give you a, a hard skin. But for me personally, you know, I have had someone gossip about my own sobriety, you know, as whilst I was working at Boiler Room, we had a big show on the Friday night, I've gone home for the weekend, come back into work, and the some a senior member of staff within Boiler Room who's also in recovery and has been in recovery for a long time, mm. came up to me and said, Is everything all right? And at this point, I'd never relapsed. And I said, yeah, I'm completely fine. Like, what's up? And he said, people have been saying that you were taking coke on the show on Friday night. And I was like, what? And I hadn't been. <laughs> yeah. um, and my first relapse was about two weeks after that. Really? Yeah, and I, I hadn't thought about that. But I think that if you, if I really look back at that... Yeah, you try and pin it down. It's... I think that that definitely would have been a factor. Not the only factor, but it definitely would have been a factor as to why it happened. Yeah. And it's almost a kind of like... Is a weird, uh, like, pride that people have. You know, I am the most sober. I haven't done anything. But your journey is not my journey. Your sobriety is not my sobriety. Your, the reasons you're sober are not the same as mine or the same as Johnny's. And, and like, that's why I had to kind of do that bit of an explanation at the beginning of this section of, I, I shouldn't have to do that. But I basically explained I've done some mushrooms, I've done some ket. That's it, that because for me, that's not relapsing um and even if i had relapsed like that's my business and it's and it's that is as we're fucking having a conversation about it's one of the you know it's a huge high percentage of people who do go so but also relapse so it's i mean people need to get off their high horse i guess and and, and stop comparing themselves to others because if we start comparing ourselves to, to each other like then we we kind of lose the the focus of we're all trying to do the same thing, we're all trying to get to the same place. It's not a race to see who can get there first. It's, do you know what I mean? It's just, it, it's really not that. Um, yeah, and the one, the one other thing I'll say is, the only reason I do have some compassion for the person that said these things to me, you know, even if they're not true, is that they are very early yeah, in their yeah, sobriety and journey. I, yeah. And, you know, Angus and I have both been there ourselves. You know, it's a weird time when you first come into this stuff and you take away the alcohol and drugs. And your head's in a weird place, you know. I, I'm happy to admit that when I stopped taking drugs and alcohol, I think for a few months, I probably hurt more people in those first months of sobriety than I probably did in the latter few months of when I was drinking and using, you know. Mm. When I was drinking and using for the last few months, I was completely on my own, you know. I was completely isolated. And I stopped using drinking and drugs. I thought I'd got my life back. 
I jumped back into my social life. Yeah, yeah. Not realising my head was still all over the place. And, you know, particularly, you know, women, I hurt a lot of, you know, in relationships, you know, when it came to sex. I was in such an unhealthy place, you know. I'd taken away one thing and jumped into another. You know, my gossiping as well, like this person <laughs> went completely out of control. Yeah. Um, and it took me a long time to, to, to realise that stuff and kind of check it. So that's the one thing I will say that, yeah. you know, I, I, I get where this person is at. But, you know, to be really clear, like Angus said, you know, we're all in this together and I'm completely with him on this. You know, whatever you're trying to stop and whatever your idea of sobriety is, that's yours. Um, and we shouldn't be judging other people for that stuff. Like, it's just not helpful. Um, and you're going to put other people's sobriety at risk potentially, which is yeah, man, probably all, the worst thing. We're all, we're all, we're all in this together, and we're, 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 we're a big sober gang, and, and we should help each other. But I, have, I, have, I personally have no ill will against this person, and, and I do understand that you know, they might have seen something which made them think something else. But um, yeah, no, I've, got, no, I've got no issues. I just think it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a broader issue, which I fa- in fact a lot of other people have mentioned to me, like, oh, you know, some of my sober friends judge my sobriety my soberness because i have a drink now and again i'm like that's just not on man what's the point it's, it's not it's not getting anyone anywhere no um so where am i here done that one done that one um so should you plan for relapse and, there, how, and how do you if you should there's honestly no point so when the first time i ever relapsed right um, and this this goes to show how much of an addict I am and I still was, even having been sober for over a year, is I was on the train home from work and the thought came into my head, because I hadn't been doing the stuff I need to do personally to stay sober, I had no defence against that thought. So the thought came into my brain and I think that when you are in a good place to sobriety and you're doing the right things, you can pick up the phone and call someone you can have your own defence where you would just say, I don't want to do that because I know where it's going to end up. But at that point in time, I didn't have that. So I went home, I called a drug dealer, picked up a load of cocaine, went to the shop, bought two big bottles of rum, and I set it down on a desk. And before I'd taken any of the drugs and any of the drink, I thought, right, what do I need to do in order to stay safe in this situation? Like, How can I plan here to ensure I cause the least harm to other people I caused the least harm to myself. I kind of put a few things in place here, a few things in place there. From the second that I took a line of cocaine and I took a drink, a sip of alcohol, all bets were off. Right? All that planning was a complete and utter waste of time. I think that what you need to plan for is what your defence is going to be when the thought creeps in. Because at that point, you've, you know, you've still got a chance. Um, I don't think it's useful to assume you're going to relapse plan you're going to relapse and to plan yeah. what you're going to do when you relapse I think that what you can plan for is what is my plan of action if when I start that getting cravings if I start like, getting yeah. cravings what am I going to do am I going to call someone you know am I going to go for a run you know in, in early sobriety it's really natural to have a lot of cravings and something that someone recommended to me at the time I was really close with in recovery was order a KFC or a dirty pizza eat that and see if you still want to do drugs and drink <laughs> And for the first three months yeah. that I came into this, that worked really well for me. You yeah. know, I even had gone to the point of going to a cash point, taking out £250 to spend on cocaine. And I thought, before I do this, let me try this one last thing. I'd go to the pizza shop, buy a pizza, I'd eat it. And lo and behold, I wouldn't want to do it anymore. Yeah. Um, 
and I'd kind of forgotten those weird little tools that I'd had when I did eventually relapse. Yeah. And to be honest, thinking about this now, you know, I'm only 41 days, 42 days, actually just six weeks back from my last relapse. I didn't order a pizza, you know. I, I did a lot of other stuff, you know. I rang other people in recovery, you know. I went to a support group. But, you know, you've got a, what, one thing I could have planned for are what are the other tools that I have in my locker that are going to help me not to drink and not to use drugs. And now I don't think you should plan for a relapse. And like I said earlier, it doesn't have to be part of your journey. Yeah. You know, it's been part of mine. And if it does happen, come straight back to this way of life. Don't get sucked into thinking that, you know, just being off your head the whole time is better because I can tell you from experience it's not. Um, but yeah, don't. Sweet. Um, you mentioned that you're only 41 days sober since your last relapse. Um, what do you think... Have you noticed a pattern in the causes of your relapse? Yeah, I have. Um, the main pattern, you know, we touched on this earlier, is just being honest about how I feel about the stuff that's going on around me. You know, um, it's really funny when Angus and I met earlier friend of his a friend a mutual friend of ours had said that I have a lot of unlucky things happen to me right um which it's weird because I don't view it like that but you know life happens to all of us right good things happen and bad things happen and sometimes I do feel like I have more good and bad things happen to me than than everyone else you know during lockdown you know my granddad died you know my younger brother was stabbed unfortunately he's completely fine now um and the pattern for me is that I'll get through these things but what I won't do is be really honest at the time about how scared I am, you know, about how much fear I have, you know, about how worried I am about my life, you know, about how, in, you know, for my brother, you know, all these worries, the anger, the fear, the disappointment, the sadness. And I'll get through it, but a week or two later, when I haven't been totally honest about whatever it is that's happened, my granddad dying, for example, you know, I relapsed a couple of weeks after that happened. Those, that fear those resentments, it comes creeping up under me and, you know, a couple of weeks will go by and all of a sudden it will come back up again because I haven't dealt with it at the time, mm. by being honest. Um, it will trick me up, you know, and you know, the reason I drank and used drugs is because I'm unable to process my emotions, you know, from a really young age. Yeah. Um, long before I drank and took drugs, you know, I look back and I can see that I didn't have that ability that, you know, quote-unquote normal people have where a difficult situation comes up and they're able to be upset or angry about it and get over it and move on with their life. Um, and sometimes I forget that. So I think for me, you know, today, it is just about that rigorous honesty, you know, and not being scared to be vulnerable. And I think that people that know me would say that, you know, I'm really honest about how I feel about my stuff. I don't have a particular issue being vulnerable, but I think that there is another layer that I do really struggle to connect with I mean, if I really connected to that really deeper level of feelings within me, I probably would stop relapsing, truth be told. I probably would, but, you know, I'm still learning to do this stuff. I've lived my whole life pushing these feelings down. Yeah. Um, and that's why I'm not too hard on myself today, you know? Yeah, I think that's important as well. Not, not probably beating yourself up, you know? You just kind of take steps and go, right, what happened? How can I make sure it doesn't happen again? But that last bit of everything you just said, I... <laughs> I couldn't have said it better myself. Like, I know I, I'm 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 very honest with with my with my close friends about my feelings and what's going on in my life. But it's more of like a matter of fact. Like this has happened. Um, you know, 
and, and I'm super honest with, with the with the experiences and what's happening, but not necessarily breaking down the the the, the chain of events that these things cause and how that makes me feel and what that might bring back up in me and what that might trigger in my head and 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 I think yeah until until you know until we can do that and that's one of the reasons I want to go to therapy because yeah. until I can do that then I'm just like kind of like I'm not I'm not fully fixed I'm not saying I will ever will be fixed because there's obviously certain things which I think which other people will never think but it's like a yeah it's, it's kind of a job half done until and until I sort out the cause of the issues which is my brain um <laughs> then the issues will keep arising. Um, last part of the podcast is a couple of random questions from people who I've told a little bit about you, um, who, uh, you know, might, may or may be in, may or may not be in the same situation as you, but they've, I've got a few good questions for you. Um, one of the questions, has the reasons you relapse been the same every time? Um, we kind of touched on that. We've touched bit. on it a little bit. I would say yes and no. Um, as I've said, you know, I think that if I was able to be rigorously honest about how I feel about stuff, I think that that would go a long way to helping. Yeah. But I think that beyond that, of course, like different circumstances and situations yeah. impact that. But, you know, over and above everything else, the reason I've relapsed is because I am a drug addict and I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> so, yes, uh, the reason I, is the same. Yeah, and I think that's really important to remember, you know, and it's really important I remind myself of that. Like, yeah, yeah, the yeah. other people that don't get who aren't addicts themselves... They will look at me getting myself into these situations and think, why do you keep going back out there? Just stop. And it's like, ultimately, you know, I'm, 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 a, I'm a drug addict. Like, you know, yeah, yeah, all, yeah. as I said earlier, what my addict brain wants me to do is give up every good part of my life and just go and use drugs until I die. Yeah. And that's kind of what we're fighting against. Yeah. Um, so what was the driving force to keep trying to become sober after all the relapses? That's a really good question. This way of life, for me... You know, I'm not completely content yet. You know, that's what I'm aiming for. The reason I keep coming back to this stuff is I just want peace of mind and I just want to be content. Um, and every time I, I, you know, get a few weeks, you know, then it goes into a few months, you know, once it was a year, I get closer and closer to being able to just sit at home, look at my life and just say, I'm actually a little bit happy, you know. Mm. Um, and every time I use drugs and I drink, you know, both at the time and the aftermath, I'm, I'm pretty deeply unhappy. Yeah. And I think that, you know, although I do have a deep desire to just use drugs and drink all the time, it's happened enough now that I can look at how I feel when I do this stuff and how I feel when I don't. And what sobriety offers for me is so much more, yeah. just in terms of happiness yeah, yeah. than yeah. what drinking and taking drugs does. You know, I can escape if I take drinking drugs and that's what I do, you know, I'm trying to escape from my feelings. But although it might be a little bit harder, Doing it this way, there's so much more on offer. Sick. Yeah, man. Um, do you still hang around with friends who openly take cocaine? And if so, do you, how do you handle it? I have friends who take cocaine. I have not seen a single friend take coke in the last two years since I recovery. I haven't seen... And is that because they have thought, like, they've done it and they've gone, fuck, I'm never going to do it around you, so they've taken themselves off and done it somewhere else? Or have you asked them to... to, to, to pack it in and I'm not do it funny. It's a really funny one. When I was in rehab, a group of my friends came and visited me and at the time I actually said to them, if you continue to take drugs, not even around me, just take drugs, yeah, yeah. I will no longer <laughs> be able to be friends with you. Yeah, I really yeah. believed that at the time and they were all obviously really shocked and we were all a little bit like, where do we go from here? Yeah. 
Um, but lo and behold, I continue to be friends with them. And I know for a fact that they still take drugs. And it's funny I say that because for a long time, because I hadn't seen them take drugs, I actually wondered whether every person I was friends with, I used to go to <laughs> session with, so had just given up taking coke, <laughs> which of course is ridiculous. Um, but, you know, I'm really, really fortunate. And the one thing I always say is I'm in a really unique position when it comes to my sobriety, my drinking, is that although I hurt a lot of people, a lot of people stuck around for me, you know, um, and I still have that today. You know, I have people that really, really care about my well-being, And as a result, you know, people who are my friends, they're just not willing to do drugs around me. And to this day, you know, it's two years, people are still asking me if it's all right if they have a pint in front of me. And I'm like, we're in a pub. Exactly. <laughs> and they're like, but, but then, you know, the, the care is really there. Yeah, man, I had that. <laughs> I, went to, I went to go see my pals in Cambridge the other day and they were just like, oh, like, you know what do you want to do and I was like oh, that's a pub isn't it? it's a Friday night like what else are you going to do are you sure like like, you know? and I was like honestly bro yeah man let's have, let's have a pint because I like non-alcoholic beers I like to go and chill in a pub so boy yeah it's, it's fucking nice it's a nice feeling it is a it. nice feeling yeah. and it's nice when people care because when I was in the height of my addiction I didn't think people did care mm. that was one of the worst things about it is that I built this narrative that everyone in life including the people closest to me including my own mum in some way were out to get me or didn't care about me. Mm. I mean, the one thing I came to learn, you know, unpacking all of this stuff and rebuilding these relationships is that, you know, people really do care. Yeah. You know, people do care. So I've got another question. Um, do you see any value in relapsing? Not kind of, do you want to do it to learn shit, but, but after you've kind of come out of the, the relapse and, and you look back on it, do you learn anything? A hundred percent, yes, I would say. I think the only positive about relapsing is that it does naturally, if you're an addict or you're an alcoholic, no matter what, it is going to reinforce the idea that you are a drug addict or that you're an alcoholic. And I think that is the one thing that it just reinforces, you know, every time I am shocked by the things that happen when I relapse. And although, you know, it's taking me a while to you know, pull together any serious, you know, sobriety again. Since January, it's been a lot better. You know, I said I've relapsed seven, eight times. Only two of those have been this side of Christmas. So they're getting longer apart. Good. And, you know, right now, I feel more embedded in recovery than I ever did in that year that I was sober for. Yeah. Than I ever did before. And I think that the other thing is that, you know, every time I go back out there, yes, it does mean that when I come back, I have to work so much harder at my sobriety. But the harder I work on my sobriety, the happier I am. You know, when I was out there not drinking and, and not taking drugs, but also not doing any of the things I know that I need to do now to stay sober, but also just keep myself happy. I wasn't drinking and using drugs, but I wasn't very happy. Mm. Whereas today, you know, I woke up, I meditated, I've had several phone calls with people that are in recovery, I did a support group, and although I only drank and used drugs 41 days ago, pretty fucking happy to be honest i'm in a pretty good place because these things whether you're a drug addict whether you're an alcoholic or not they will make you feel good the byproduct for us is i have to do them in order to not drink Mm. but the good byproduct is it's gonna make you not drink it's also gonna make you pretty fucking happy sick so if people want to kind of follow your shit um get to know the face behind the the voice uh how can they find you mate yeah and i'd say people as well feel free to reach out and message me like you know typically yeah. i love talking to people who want to chat about sprite and drug <laughs> addiction like we all do yeah um but you can catch me on instagram my handle is ojhnyn so that's literally just at 
O J H N Y N. Nice and uh, complicated for you guys. <laughs> um, obviously, we are at Let's Talk Sobriety, um, just encouraging open conversation around sobriety and addiction. Um, if you do know someone or you yourself would like to be a guest on a podcast, please do get in touch. Um, other than that, if you haven't listened to any of the other episodes, head back, listen to them. This has been the longest one by far, but I feel like it's it's, it's needed this, this length of time in order to chat um, about this much. So thanks for listening, everybody, and see you next week. listening to Sober Diaries hosted by me Angus Reynolds. If you'd like to appear as a guest on the podcast and talk about your experiences or you know someone who might please do let us know. Uh, you can find us on Instagram at Let's Talk Sobriety or you can email us directly letstalksobriety at gmail.com.